0: Well, thanks for coming here this morning. We're, we've been in this series called Church, and we're going to be uh, in in this series for, for quite a while now. So, if you don't like church, well, you don't don't come to church. Uh, we're you know we're we're going to be here for a little while. We're looking at what what does it mean to to be a, a people of God. And and as I was putting this together this week, it, it, it evokes some old memories. Like when I was uh, when I first got married, you know, I told myself if we, if God ever gives us kids. There's things I'm not going to do, right? You know, like one of those things was, uh, if you ever, if you ever mother, did your mom ever do this to you? Like when you had something on your face, right? she and gets, get that off your, like, oh, that's so gross, right? I, mean, I don't want to that happen too. I mean, you know, your mom will lick your finger and wipe your face off. Oh, come on. I said, I am never doing that to my kids, right? And Cole's about three or four. We were about to go in somewhere and he had something, some snow cone or something. And I'm like, get that, get that off your face. I'm like, oh no, I'm becoming my parents, man. You know, it's so bad, right? You know, you, you start doing those very things that, that you didn't want to do. Or, you know, I remember... My dad, uh, my dad was uh, not not an introvert so much, uh, but he was. Uh, he he often didn't uh, say a whole lot. He he. I learned a lot how to be a man by watching my dad, and 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 so he he would model a lot of things. But one of the things dad didn't do sometimes he didn't always explain why I was getting a spanking. You know, because I didn't know why I was getting a spanking most of the time, right? Everybody believes that. Raise your hand, right? Yeah. So, but he uh, he would he would often just. Give me the spanking, and I'm like, what? You know, I kind of need the explanation. And so I told myself, if I ever have kids, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give the philosophical explanation of like what, why this is going down. And so I went the whole other way. Like I would have like a 12 to 14 minute dissertation on, on, you know, when my boys were little, and this is, this is what happened. You know, this is the, this is the, the court's decision, and this is kind of how we're going to rule it down and hand it down. And then, and then it got so bad that Michelle had to step in one time, and she popped in the bedroom. Like would you just get it over would you like you're torturing them with this whole this whole antus antith- just do it And then you know, I'm like, oh, yeah Yeah, and so then I got kind of went the other way in my parenting model was just whip them and then uh, then after the crying's over Then then they could you know we could we could rationalize it out together So uh, I, I'm here for parenting lessons by the way if y'all afterward if y'all need any help I can coach you through all that because I, I did a great job um, but, you know, we, we tell ourselves that, that there's so often, for me, there was many times that, that I, I really wanted to know, like matching. My dad did model for me, I will say, daddy, daddy did model for me that pain and bad decisions always go together. And, uh, and that's true. It's true in life, right? And, and so, so often in life, though, we're not always, we don't always get the explanation. Like you hear so many times, like, well, don't do that. It's bad for you. You know, or don't, don't eat that. It's, it's bad for you. You hear all the time, oh, don't do that, it's bad for you. And so often we don't really know why. Well, several years ago, probably 10, 12 years ago, uh, man, I was just... I, I was not. I didn't have a lot of energy, and I didn't understand where that was coming from. And so uh, I did what every uh, smart person does when you're facing a, a health issue: you go to Google. Uh, and uh, that is the single worst thing you could possibly do because you're going to wind up with some weird African disease that only you have, you know. And then there's no cure for it. It's the worst thing in the world to do. But I went to Google and I started looking up. I started looking up sleep apnea, and like I hit every single symptom. Right, So I, I went to this sleep doctor, my cousin runs a sleep clinic in Ohio, and I called him, and, and he's like, "Oh, yeah, man." said he said, uh, he said I, "I use a CPAP, and I don't even have sleep apnea. It just you, you breathe better." And so I went and got this sleep test, and, and, and I, remember, I remember going to, to this place, it was the Vanderbilt kind of thing, and this I think it was probably 10, 12 years ago, and, and I remember they hooked all these electrodes up to me, right? And I took a selfie, like in the mirror, like all, all the students do all the time. Y'all see to do all these, like, what is it about selfies in bathrooms? And so, I don't get that. I, I, there's just a lot of that out there. And I don't know the philosophical ramifications of why that happens. But, but I did it, too. I guess we fall victim. So I, I, I took a, you know, reflection shot. And I, I looked like, you know, Iron Man or something. Or, or the, Remember in the 70s, the, the $6 million man? Anybody, ever, anybody have a $6 million man? Good, one, two, four, five, good, yes. Yes, I got, I got one of those when uh, my tonsils were taken out. I got the life-size one. It's a whole different story. But it was, it was cool. Um, but I, I said, I'll never go to sleep with all these electrodes. On. I promise I'm going somewhere with this. Hang with me. Um, I'll never go to sleep with all these electrodes hanging off of me, right? And so this voice comes on the intercom, and it says, uh, Mr. Cruz, you, uh, you're you awake, aren't you? I said, oh, yeah. When are we going to start? He said, it's 6 a.m. I said, what? He said, yeah, you've been asleep seven hours. I said, I've been asleep seven hours with like this mask on my head. And he said, yeah, best night's sleep I'd ever had, man. At at this point, I would sleep with a motorcycle helmet on my head if I knew I was going to sleep that good for the rest of my life, right? That CPAP changed my life, man. I've been using it for over a decade. But what got me at the end, again, was the explanation. He set me down, and, and I'd always heard that sleep was a big part of health and sleep was important. Nobody ever told me why. He explained to me, he he showed me my heart charts and what it was doing to my heart and how that played into everything from metabolism and all these things. I'm like, oh my goodness. And once I understood understood why sleep mattered, it made me value sleep that much more to where I started try to build a better life around it. Today, I'm going to talk to you about something you've heard your whole life you shouldn't do. Don't do this. But I don't know something, just like a lot of times we're, we hear don't, 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 but we don't often understand the reason that God's Word tells us something. And today I want to talk to you about what it means to be a church of one another, a people without rivalries, that we're not rivals of one another. We're not rivals of one another. What does that look like? Well, it's, it's going to be in Galatians chapter 5. So you've got a Bible, turn to that, Galatians chapter 5. And we're gonna now. Paul is uh, apostle. Paul wrote this. If you're not familiar, he was a a man that God chose, and he wrote he wrote more than half the New Testament. and And he wrote this. There was a church in Galatia, and he wrote a letter to them, and And uh, in in chapter five, he talks a lot about the fruits of the spirit. And in the bulk of that chapter, before that, he talks about the fruits of the not so spirit. And then he gets into the fruits of the Spirit, and then after that, he gives the last three verses, and that's where we're going to focus at today, and and, and, uh, you have a verse. I think I put it up there for you, too. In Galatians 5, we're going to start in verse 24, and I'm going to read from the New American Standard. Here we go. It says, now, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions. That means, that, that is, you've taken all your desires, and you've put them under the ownership of God, Right? You've given your desires, your dreams and desires, you've given them to God. That's what verse 24 means. Verse 25 says, so, so if that's the case, if we live by the Spirit, then let us also walk by the Spirit. That is, let us keep pace with the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another or envying one another. The New Living Translation, I think, says it in a very readable way. Let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. On the screen, you can see it. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. You've, you've heard your whole life that you shouldn't be jealous. Have you ever thought about why? you ever thought about why that actually matters to God? It made me think of in the Ten Commandments, That we are not to covet. What what does it say in Exodus, Exodus 20? You shall not covet anything that belongs to your neighbor. That is anything, not their vehicle, not just not their home. That is maybe their status or their job title or somebody in your life's body image. It could be all kinds of stuff that we are told not to crave. Now, in this whole church series, we're talking about one another. What does it mean to live one to another? Now, you hear this word all the time in the corporate world. If you, if you work anywhere, you've heard this word culture. It's a big buzzword. It has been on the American landscape now for you know, 10, 20 years, maybe even. But the word culture, this whole ecosystem of what does it mean? So when you, when you start noticing how many times in the New Testament you will hear this one another phrase, it's everywhere. One another is not about how to build a church. In the one another statements, you find the DNA of a church. How are we to live in a culture of Christianity inside this particular place we call Clearview? We're going to talk this morning about what Paul just said, do not be jealous of one another. And we're going to work off of a simple construct that says it this way, that jealousy is simply not the way of Jesus. Jealousy isn't the way of Jesus. And so we're going to talk about why. Why is it that God's word tells you, hey, don't be jealous of one another. Don't have rivalries with one another. So let's break it down about why that's true. Number one, jealousy is an enemy, right? It's an enemy of purity. Jealousy is an enemy of purity. Now, let me tell you why this matters so much, why your purity before God matters. If you look at our American culture, even in our American church culture, something I've been noticing for years and years and years that is eroding, even under the steeple, is the pursuit of purity. Purity matters to God. And it doesn't matter to God because we behave right and we act right. That's not why God wants you to have a pure heart. God wants you to pursue a pure heart because purity is where he resides. Purity is where he lives. God is holy, and he doesn't live outside the unholy. So if you want to connect with God, don't muddy up the waters. That's a choice that you have to make. You really do. Now, see, when you came to Jesus, when you came to Christ, God God made you whole in Christ. So I was saved back there in 1990. And then there's a point in my future where I am going to be saved when I see Jesus face to face. That's called heaven, right? So if this is heaven, and if this over here is when Jason met Jesus, the in-between life is a life full of choices. That's the kingdom life. The kingdom of God is about choices. And Jesus spoke to it all the time. Read the Gospels. He spoke to it all the time. It's choice after choice. We have a choice of where we want to position ourselves. And if you want to get close to God, pursue purity. You're already righteous, made by Christ. But I'm telling you, God lives in a pure heart He will still deal with you. He will connect with you. But I'm telling you, purity keeps you connected to God. And jealousy is not the way of Jesus. And it will toxify your heart. It will muddy up the waters between you and your relationship with God. It's an enemy of purity. But it's not just an enemy of purity. I would go so far as to say it's an enemy of joy. That jealousy is an enemy of joy, of actual joy. And Jesus promised us joy. He said, joy, I came that your joy might be made full. He said that to us. But jealousy is an enemy of that. It's an enemy of a joyful heart, and it'll make you a slave. It'll make you a slave to it because you can never get off the, the hamster wheel. It, it, is, it is self-slavery to constantly be jealous and envying of something that somebody else or, or what somebody else may own or, or obtain. If you, let me give you a litmus test you find yourself saying things like, I should be blank, I should be better at. If you find yourself saying things like even for those of you that are married, you know, honey, we should be more like. You ever had this thought? You ever, had, you ever like looked at somebody else's life and go like, what am I doing wrong? Right? Oh, I'm just the only one, sorry. I didn't mean to walk up into, you know, perfection this morning. <laughs> We've all done it, man, right? You look at somebody else's life and you go, "What what what are we not getting right?" I want to set you free for a minute, church family. I've been doing ministry a long time, and I hope we have a lot longer to go. But I want to set you free on something. I can tell you on this side of church life, my side of church life, Don't compare your life to anybody because you have no clue what they're really like. People only let you see what they want you to see. That's called social media. People only let you see what they want you to see. I tell young couples all the time that come to me just after they're married or maybe thinking about getting married, I tell them all the time, don't compare your marriage to somebody else's. You don't know what life is like in that home. You really don't. Don't compare your job to somebody else's. Don't compare your spiritual life to somebody. People are amazing fakers, not because they're bad people. We're just good at it. We're good at playing the part until it all falls down. And I'm telling you, friend, when you start comparing yourself one to another, we're not called to rivalry, and that's what jealousy does. Jealousy will take your joy away because it'll put you on a treadmill of having to keep up All the time and you can't do it. You just can't do it It is an enemy of joy. It is an enemy of purity But let me let me go to the root of the problem. So let's read the verse again. Here we go verse 24 ready We're going to read them again now those who belong to christ jesus have crucified the flesh So what does that mean, Jason? It means that you have literally handed over your dreams and desires and your appetites to God. You're now in Christ. He's given you a new person. That's what verse 24 means. Verse 25 says, so if we live by the Spirit, now that we have the Spirit in our lives, then let us keep pace with the Spirit. Let us walk in the Spirit. And therefore, let us not become boastful or challenging, or provoking, or let us not become jealous of one another. So what? why is that the biggest issue? Is it just because we want to have more joy? Is it just because we want to live a life f- with, with purity? No. It, it's, it's important because at the end of the day, jealousy is rooted in selfishness. Jealousy is rooted in selfishness. And selfishness is what got us in the problem that we're in today. You see, the reason that Adam and Eve did what they did was because they demanded to do it their way. I want what I want, God. I want what I want, and I'm going to take what I want to take. And that is what started this thing called sin. Selfishness is at the root of sin because what it does is it makes us chase things That God never intended for us to have. Jealousy is rooted in selfishness. And selfishness will make you do things. When you look at this verse, you will see. It will make you provoke. It will make you take the bait. It will make you pursue something. And and that's where idols live. Oh, I hope you're paying attention. This is way better preaching than the look on your face. But I'm going to still keep going. I'm going to tell you something. All right? Our hearts are idol factories, as one theologian said. But idols are weird because when we think of idols we think of like going off into the Amazon and finding some tribal people with some pole and you know cutting the heads off of chickens and sprinkling the blood on stuff and you know and whatever that's what we think about idols. That's not idolatry. Let me tell you what idols are. Idols are sneaky. Idols are sneaky. An idol is something that you look to to do for you what only God can do for you. And Idols are sneaky and idols look different for all of us, but I promise you you have them Oh, I've had many And I have to watch all the time because they hide themselves. Well They hide themselves. Well, if you want to know Where to start looking I'll give you I'll give you a little simple test Ask yourself. What do you worry about the most? What do you worry about the most? Because most of the, th- the things that you, I'm not talking about just little things. What do you find yourself constantly worried about? Those things tend to have idols living there because it's a place where you're not trusting God. It doesn't make you a bad person, it makes you a human. But you have to understand that our hearts are places where we create idols. And idols are something that we look to God. We look, say, "Okay, this is going to make me fulfilled if I can just get it, if I can just have it, if I can just get the perfect relationship." Or in this particular case with jealousy, why can't I have what she has? And we start leveraging our wants against one another. And God has not called us to rivalries. We are to live one to one another. So if you find yourself looking to something else to feel accepted, why don't people like my posts? They must not like me. Somebody unfriended me. What's wrong with me? If I could just... Somehow look more like her. I would find somebody that loves me and then you begin to hate her Then you start looking at somebody else in the job place and you go I know I'm as smart as he is I work harder than he does. Why does that guy get promoted and I don't? You see how dangerous it can get how fast it can get Jealousy is not the way of Jesus it's just not the way of Jesus, because jealousy is rooted in selfishness, and selfishness will take us down a place, man, that can ruin our lives. The church is not built on rivalries. We're not built on rivalries, one to another. We are to be for one another, and Paul points that out, by the way. If you look here in uh, Can we bring that verse back up, that I the, the Galatians 5? It was like the second or third image. I want to, I, I'm sorry. I did, there we go. I want y'all to look at something real quick with me. Look at that last part. In every part of our lives, it says, Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. Now, those two words are right there: provoke or jealous. Paul's doing something right there. He's giving you a compare contrast. Paul does it in this whole chapter. If you want to understand the mind of the apostle Paul, notice about him. The way he teaches is often compare contrast. He will say, not this way, but this way. He just spent all these verses like saying, these are what the fruits of the not spirit are. And then he comes down to, but here are the fruits of the Spirit. Now he's coming back to two different ways of looking at life. Don't provoke one another. He's talking to Christians. He's not talking to non-Christians. Don't provoke one another and don't be jealous of one another. Say, what do you mean about provoking? Now let's go back to that frame that had inferiority and superiority on it. So I want want to point it out to you. So to to not provoke one another means don't take jabs at somebody. Don't, Don't come in as if you're the boss, like that you've got it all figured out. That you have no flaws in your life. Don't come in as a bully. Don't, don't come in as a maverick. Don't, don't come into one another as if you're better than. Don't provoke one another. We are for one another. Because if you do that, you will, you will constantly leverage yourself. And let me tell you, we do this. All of us have done it in different places in our lives. We look at other people. Listen, man, comparison We do it so much more, I think, than we're aware of. We're constantly comparing our talents, our money, our status, our IQ, right? We're constantly comparing ourselves to other people. I want to say a word to all of our students right now, middle and high school. Let me tell you something. Don't compare yourself to other students in the classroom. ACT and SAT scores do not indicate what kind of person you are. Schools have to have them; they have to use them. But I'm tell you, I mean, you got to take them, take them, right? But I lost my faith in the ACT in the 11th grade, mainly because of my score. But you know, but I sat next to a girl; she was dumber than a bag of hammers, man, and she made like 33. Right? That was a pretty good joke. Come on, now, that was pretty good right? You know, I'm, if you're a guest today, I'd make jokes to see if you're awake, right? No, she was not dumber than a bag of hammers. But I realized, okay, if she made a 33, I make the same grades as she does in biology, and I didn't make anywhere close to a 33. That's a stupid test. Do you see how fast I got there? It's the test problem, not mine, right? No, but we leverage ourselves all the time and students don't think it gets any better when you get to be an adult because it doesn't it doesn't get any better when you get to be an adult when you get to be an adult what ends up happening is you start looking at other people's homes and you start going are we are we doing it wrong you start looking at other people's vacations why can't i afford that You start looking at other people's lives and pretty soon, even in the body of Christ, you have rivalries. And we are called to be for one another. Do not be jealous of one another. And when you become jealous of one another, you can have an inferiority complex. Oh, well, you know what? I'll never be like her. I'll never have the marriage they have. When you start having a self-worth based on how you leverage one to another, we are not called to that. We are called to be for one another. When somebody in the body of Christ wins, we win. When one suffers, we all suffer. We are here for one another. And that's the litmus test, that we are for one another and with one another. Jealousy, though, I will tell you this. Let me show you an image. Let me show you a picture of a tree. Now, you've seen this before. If you've been coming to Clearview. You've seen this before. We use this in Keys to Freedom. This is kind of at the root of our discipleship model. It's kind of at the source of our discipleship model here at Clearview. For those of you that took Keys to Freedom, you understood pretty quick that the the, the way the human heart is made is is that we have behaviors, and those behaviors are based on beliefs, and those beliefs have sources. So in this particular image up here, the tree, the, the leaves on the tree, that's just the fruit. That's the behaviors and we focus so often on behaviors if I could just do better here I'd be a better Christian if I could just be, do better over here I'd be a better Christian if I could do this or I shouldn't do that or I shouldn't do this or I should do that And we start looking at a life of behavior based Christianity and I'm telling you friends. that's a dead-end road Behavior-based Christianity doesn't mean you're lined up with God. It just means sometimes you got the behaviors, right? I've seen many people empty on the inside, but they got the behaviors, right? That's why Jesus constantly was talking about the Pharisees. They got the behaviors, right, but they had no heart They had no heart in their walk with God So jealousy Jealousy is a behavior But that behavior is being fueled by a belief system and that belief system is that I've got to be more or do more, or I've got to somehow come against somebody, or in my mind I'm upset with somebody, or in my mind I'm somehow in a place where I'm not as good or I'm better than that other person because they're not like me. Either way, it's going to go sideways on you. It's not the way of Jesus. But jealousy is a behavior, but that behavior is fueled by a belief. And that belief is really simple. That I'm not who I should be. Or who are they? Are they, be- they think better than me? It's a belief system. And it, that belief system is coming from somewhere. It's coming from a source. It's called the root system of our lives. Now, why do I bring this up? I don't bring up jealousy because it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's something we're to just push off in our lives. Jealousy is just a symptom of a belief system that has been toxified by an enemy. So you have to understand, you have a very real enemy. Satan is not some Hollywood mystical figure that has a bifurcated tail that comes at you as, you know, the boogeyman. Let me tell you what I've learned about Satan in my life. He is very patient. He is very patient. And he will set you up slowly. And his number one desire is to bring you to ruin. He will bring you to ruin. And so if he can begin to get you to compare your life to other people, then he will whisper in your ear, if you want to be like him, and if you want to be an executive too, you need to do more. And in your doing more, you begin doing more. And now you're on the treadmill. If you want to be like her, You got to do that. And you got to do this. You have a very real enemy. You have a very real enemy. And that enemy is not playing around, he is in it to win it. And he will sabotage you. Jealousy is not the way of Jesus because jealousy is about taking you off the path that leads to Christ. And he will sabotage you. And he will do it slowly. Let me tell you something, friends. You don't just wake up on a Tuesday and say, you know what? I think I'll throw in 18 years of marriage and go have an affair on my husband. You don't do that in a day. That takes time. That takes time. You don't just wake up one day and say, you know what? I think I'll cash in a great 401k and I'll... I'll, ruin my life on an intense gambling addiction just because it's Friday and I'm bored. That happens over time. You don't wake up on a Monday and say, I think I will be enslaved to painkillers because I'm so depressed that I don't know what to do. That happens over time. You have a very real enemy, and he will take his time. And if you have a spot in your soul that is constantly chasing a fantasy, then he will fill it. And sometimes he'll fill it with good things. You have to guard your heart. For it is the wellspring of life, the scriptures tell us you got to watch what you believe because what you believe will drive how you act. Beliefs drive behavior. So when you have jealousy in your heart, friend, let me tell you what you, find. you will find. You'll find a root system that is saying to you, God isn't enough. You've got to be more or you've got to do more. And you become jealous when you can't get it. Jealousy will take you away from the path of Jesus. We are called to be for one another. We are called to live a kingdom life. You know, Jesus Jesus said something to us over and over again about kingdom choices. Jesus said, I'm thinking of one verse right now where he said, Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. That is a choice. What you seek and what you crave is a choice. I have a friend of mine that says it this way. He says, Jason, I'm trying to learn in my Christian walk when it comes to needs versus wants that if God is sovereign, then if I don't have it, I must not need it. And it's okay. If I don't have it, I must not need it. And it's okay. Friend, you will find so much relief if you can come to a place in your life where you realize the sovereignty of God is all you need. It's all you need. So I want to do some reverse engineering for you real quick this morning. We're going to start in verse 26, right? So if you do believe in the sovereignty of God, then watch this in verse 26. If you're not jealous of one another... You don't have to be jealous. You know why you don't have to be jealous in verse 26? Because in verse 25 it says you've now been invaded by the Spirit of God and you can walk in the power of God. And the reason that you can walk in the power of God is because verse 24 says you've been invaded with the Spirit of the living God who put to death in you the dead man's spirit. And that dead man's spirit is now crucified and you're now crucified in Christ. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified in Christ and and I no longer live. In the life I do live, I live by faith in the Son of God who gave himself for me. I don't have to chase it and I don't have to envy it. And I don't have to look the part. And I don't have to fake it till I make it. I don't have to gain a big following on social I don't have to put a title in front of my name, and I don't have to hate somebody who's got a bigger title than me. I don't have to desire anything. If I will literally go all in with the sovereignty of God, I can have peace of mind and peace of heart. and I won't live a life of idolatry where I'm constantly placing myself against other people. Jealousy is not the way of Jesus. You know, you often don't think about sharing something with somebody like a tweet or an email or sending them a sermon or sending them a podcast. You don't often think of that as missions, but it is. It's not that you have to send it to the whole world or post every single thing we do at Clearview on your feed. But if, if you've heard a sermon or if you've listened to a podcast, think through your life. I mean, God, who needs to hear this? Sometimes it, it, it doesn't go on your Facebook page. Sometimes it needs to go on your Twitter, but sometimes just a simple text to one person can make all the difference in the world. of sending them the Word of God in real time. Share it. You'd be surprised how far it goes.